Good evening, folks. This is your host, Terry Farley in Dallas, Texas. Now calling to each one of you from the eye of the storm. The eye is at the very center of a hurricane. Regardless of how powerful the hurricane, the eye at the center is calm. God's word leads us to the eye. For the Lord encourages each of us to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Thank you each and every one very much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it. Welcome to all, including our new listeners. Uh, greetings from the eye of the storm. Tonight we continue our heading for Calm Harbor, our port of call, centered at the very eye of the storm. This evening we are returning to our study in Proverbs, uh, picking up in chapter 15, having given place last week to a word toward our imminent any moment rapture by Jesus on the day that must be called today, his atomic calling out of his bride to deliver us from this present evil age, as prophesied by Paul in Galatians 1.4, continues to vault towards us at exponential speed. Because we have firmly established with the understanding that his shout is imminent within this very season we are trespassing and is best received as our daily anticipation as we continue to strive to occupy up to the very moment of Jesus' calling out, we will be referring back to this brilliant prophecy of God as he leads, keeping afresh always the comfort and strengthening of his glorious promise of deliverance as he prophesied in the Gospel of John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, when he immediately consoled Peter following the warning of that apostle's impending denial of our Lord in the approaching hours of that very night with these words, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. We invite all who are listening, meanwhile, to open their Bibles to the book of Proverbs, where we now begin at Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Again, that's Proverbs 15, verses 1 through 4. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise use knowledge right, but the mouth of fools pour out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Psalm 46.10 reads, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Verse 1 of Proverbs 15 reveals the reward of the psalmist's persuasion to a soft answer, for the practice results in staying incoming wrath. Grievous words, contrarily, stir up anger. Verse 2 supports 
uh, commending the wise for employing the soft answer with knowledge rightly spoken, while the fool still spouts foolishness. God is watching sounds empty until one is faced with verse 3, informing the observant that God's eyes are everywhere, marking evil as well as good. Crafting grace in one's response cultivates verse 4, the tree of life. Hard-headedness, however, reveals a breach in the spirit. Verses 5 through 8. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he that regards reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish do not so. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Verse 5 presupposes one has a father, but do not despair if you do not have an earthly father. In fact, God cares for all, including those alone and separated. The psalmist declares, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. That's God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. Haunting is the idea of God being far away, which is totally false. Thus, those who despise the word of God are ignoring their heavenly father, while he who pays attention to rebuke shows discretion. Verse 6 simply, uh, verse 6 confirms the wealth of the house of the righteous, which can simply be peace and quiet, as often made obvious by the turmoil in the life of the wicked. Paul freely acknowledged this peace in Philippians, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.7. One could easily ask, what would engender this peace of God, which passes all understanding, keeping your heart and mind through Christ Jesus? Philippians 4.5 has just given the answer, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Acknowledging and cultivating daily anticipation of being delivered from this evil world provides instant encouragement that Jesus' nearness is our comfort and strength, knowing he is preparing to call out his bride. Conversely, where the righteous are rewarded with good things, for those waging sin, their revenue is trouble leading to death. We learn from the teaching of the wise, verse 7, who give freely, but the heart of the foolish do not so, for they have nothing to offer except foolishness. In fact, verse 8 confirms even the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination to the Lord, but God loves him that follows after righteousness. Again, Paul declares in Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verses 9 through 12 of Proverbs 15. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loves him that follows after righteousness. 
Correction is grievous unto him that forsakes the way, and he that hates reproof shall die. Hell and destruction are before the Lord, how much more than the hearts of the children of men. A scorner loves not one that reproves him, neither will he go unto the wise. Verse 9, Proverbs uh, 15, doubles down on these truths, expressing even the way of the wicked is abomination to the Lord, while he loves all who follow after righteousness. Verse 10 continues the exposure of folly for the wicked, stating he who forsakes the way is grievously corrected, adding the warning that he who hates disapproval courts death. Verse 11 introduces the truth that is expanded in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, confirming that not only are hell and destruction before the Lord, but revealing his own personal identity as Jesus declares of himself, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold, I, Jesus, hold the keys of death and Hades, Revelation 1.18. Sadly, verse 12 reveals the inner self-destructive spirit of the scorner that doesn't love the one correcting him, and the scorner won't even go to the wise for instruction. Moving on to verse 13 through 16, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. The heart of him that has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Perhaps one of the most well-known verses in Scripture has landed in front of us. Verse 13. Interestingly, it's the first half of the verse that is so often quoted, while the second half, the counterpoint to the first, is as often led to languish without discussion. The first, a merry heart, makes a cheerful countenance. Popularity for this observation hails from the fear that feeling good and happy is somehow akin to sinfulness and any strains of guilt that surface cause immediate recourse to Scripture for support. Judgment has been the foundation of preaching throughout the centuries and even the millennia, thus convincing folks that God hates any kind of good feelings. Even a cursory examination of Proverbs should correct that misconception. But for some reason, folks are more easily convinced that God hates more than he loves. John 3.16, perhaps the most often quoted verse in sermons, pamphlets, books, across time, first quoted by Jesus himself, is even today often received with unbelief and skepticism or totally unappreciated for its depth and impact intended for the hearts and souls of all mankind. To wit, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So loved is the phrase we shall focus on this evening. Note that the statement is declared in the past tense. 
Certainly God loves the world even now and in the future. However, it is important to realize God loved us before we loved him. Conversely, by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Even within this obvious truth, a golden encouragement is embedded. We turn to Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saves such as be of a contrite spirit. The word contrite in this passage is more clearly defined as Christ. The Lord's mercy endures forever and God loves to minister to those with a crushed spirit. Verse 14, cultivating within your heart understanding, such as undertaking this study of Proverbs, for example, is because you are seeking knowledge, which Proverbs assures throughout the book that you will therefore be successful. Fools, by their very identity, seek instead foolishness. Verse 15, all the days of the troubled are evil, but he who cultivates a merry heart has a continual feast. Verse 16 reveals the fear and reverence of God provides enhancements even when little and superior to great treasure that brings trouble. Verse 17 supports verse 16. Vegetables with love overrides roast beef with hatred. Angry men stir up strife reports verse 18, but he who is slow to anger eases tensions. Laziness grows thorns, verse 19 informs, while the upright build highways. Verses 20 through 23. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season. How good is it? Verse 20 exposes the tip of the iceberg in familial relationships. Certainly, seeking the approval of a father is natural, receiving his joy rather than his anger. But notice that it is the foolish man who despises his mother. A good father's approval will not be given when his wife is disdained. Verse 21 highlights the lack of good sense or folly displayed in joyful enterprise by someone without wisdom. Verse 22 repeats the admonition to seek counsel without which purposes are disappointed whereas in the multitude of counselors' purposes are established. Verse 23 confirms a good answer is a joy to give, and the right word at the right time, how good that is. A precious memory is stirred here. Proverbs 25.11 proclaims, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. As Karen was moving her things into my apartment after our wedding, she set a, a gold apple ornament on the counter. Later, as we were putting things away, we realized the apple was sitting next to a silver picture frame, which was also ribbed in gold. The remembrance of the Proverbs quotation was set before our very eyes. Again, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Proverbs 25, 11. 
Continuing with Proverbs 15, verses 24 through 27, the way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hates gifts shall live. Verse 24 can't help uh, to remind many of us with the song Stairway to Heaven. One Google report goes, penned by Robert Plant, the lyrics to Stairway to Heaven that begin as a critique on an overly materialistic society, suggesting that spending your entire life collecting material possessions is a fruitless endeavor as it won't get you to heaven, and you can't use any of it when you get there anyway. Fits perfectly with the way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. Once again, not only a confirmation of the reality of hell, but the additional information that the directions for both are also given. Heaven above, hell beneath. Verse 25 declares God will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. Verse 26 tells the reader, even the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, while the words of the pure are pleasant. Verse 27 combines with Proverbs 11:29, He that troubles his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. By offering one example of troubling one owns, one owns house through greed, while astoundingly commending those who hate gifts with the blessings of life. Verses 28 through 31. The heart of the righteous study to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoice the heart, and a good report makes the bones fat. The, hear that, the ear that heareth the reproof of life abides among the wise. Christians will often speak of experiences that seem and sound coincidental, yet many will quickly clarify that many times incidents that seem coincidental are not. There are some notable personages, such as Dr. Jordan Peterson, who have concluded that there are in fact no coincidences in life. I must lean to Mr. Peterson's conclusion myself. Having read through the Bible dozens of times, though barely having scratched the surface, invariably verses remind me of other verses, etc. Working on this upcoming Sunday evening's program, I began remembering a favorite verse in Proverbs of an elderly grandmother, which she referred to when moved to a deeper thought. As I was working on this passage of Proverbs, I wondered at what point in the chapters still awaiting consideration when I might come across that verse in particular. Lo and behold, we have arrived at that very verse. Verse 28 was where she would turn, replying to a statement that had caught her fancy, saying, I'm going to have to study on that, confirming that the righteous study to answer while the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil things. Her patience in applying to study was always inspiring. 
regardless of a person's seeming familiarity with God, verse 29 declares the Lord is far from the wicked, while encouraging the righteous that he, God himself, hears their prayers. Verse 30 urges the response to the question often posed, how fast will the rapture be? Most Christians informed of the Bible on that subject will quickly answer in the twinkling of an eye. Their response always reminds of the experiment done by engineers at General Electric when trying to determine that exact point, though their exact process is unknown in retrieving that information. For example, taking a time picture reveals that twinkle emits when someone is told a joke and then getting it in that very moment, their eye twinkles. The speed for any taking notes is 11 one hundredths of a second. For a more exacting determination, one must factor in Paul's beginning explanation in 1 Corinthians 15.51 when he states, in a moment, the Greek word atomos, which is in English, atom, the smallest particle in the universe. Without knowing how many atoms are within 11 one-hundredths of a second, it is immediately recognizable that the speed with which Jesus is going to shout eclipses our feeble human understanding. Again, the light of the eyes rejoice the heart, and a good report makes the bones fat, Proverbs 15.30. Verse 31 parenthetically doubles down on paying attention to reproofs. The more important, the closer we should be listening, placing the obedient among the wise. And our final two verses of chapter 15, he that refuses instruction despises his own soul. But he that hears reproof uh, gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. The personal value of these marvelous teachings in Proverbs are encapsulated in verse 32, declaring that refusing instruction is a revelation that one despises his own soul, while those who receive equitably blame or disapproval, they grow in understanding. Returning again to the theme of Proverbs, verse 33, the fear of the Lord is within itself the instruction of wisdom, adding that before honor is bestowed, first comes humility. That concludes chapter 15, folks. The Lord willing, we'll join together again next Sunday evening to crack open chapter 16 of the book of Proverbs. This evening, we add a new element to the eye of the storm entitled uh, Mini Padashahs, Perspectives from the Tanakh Portions and Tonight from Exodus. What's in a name? Padashah Shemot, or names, part one from Exodus chapter one, verse one, through chapter six, verse one. This week's Padashah, entitled Shemot, or names, opens with a listing of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. There were 70 descendants, counting Joseph, who was, of course, already in Egypt. Interestingly, one could, in fact, entitle this Parsha, What's in a Name? For several reasons. First, after Joseph dies, a king arises in Egypt who knows not Joseph. This unnamed Pharaoh king fears the prosperous Hebrews who fill the land as they increase in the succeeding generations abundantly, multiplying and growing exceedingly mighty, the Tanakh explains. And he said to his people, look, 
The people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. And we come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. God fulfills his promise to Abraham that those who curse God, God will in turn curse. Thus, the greater challenges the Pharaoh places on the children of Israel, the greater they shine. The nameless king then resorts to enlisting the midwives to the Israeli women, of whom the name one is Shipra, the name of the other Pua. He instructs them, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. If it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the unnamed king of Egypt commanded them but save the male children alive. God blessed the midwives, whose names are now famous, and Israel multiplied and grew very mighty, exactly as the nameless Pharaoh had feared. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, everyone, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Exodus chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. From this, of course, Moses, the deliverer, is delivered, <laughs> being found by the nameless Pharaoh's own daughter, who decides to raise Moses herself. Please remember to Google T.L. Farley Books. And before I close, <clears throat> folks, I want to tell you thank you for everybody that's listening as the program continues to grow. And uh, in fact, I even bumped into a young man down the street who actually, his name is Sergio. I won't give his last name. We don't want to start a flood over to his house. Uh, but anyway, Sergio and I, we talked about it and he recognized my voice. Can you imagine? Uh, that was kind of the first instance of breaking into a wider world. Anyway, so he read, but it was beautiful. We talked about Jesus and how he can believe in Jesus and live forever as anyone who's listening, if they'll call on the Lord, can do the same. And uh, so that we can continue to seek that last Christian so that Jesus is free to shout. And so uh, as we join together to close out, uh, let me again uh, encourage everyone Maranatha, folks. And remember, Maranatha means Jesus with us. God be praised. And Maranatha again. And you have a good week and a good night and a very best to all of one. I pray for all of buddy uh, tonight, Lord, uh, everyone, and uh, lead and guide us as we go. And I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And that's the wrap for this evening, folks. May we all join together in prayer that each of us has a good night. And the Lord willing, until we meet next time, or until Jesus shouts and we meet in the air, or at supper, here's bidding you all, each and every one, the very best Jesus has to offer you. From the eye of the storm, this is your host, Terry Farley bidding you a good evening.